Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 17. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. We've been going through the life of Jacob. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the good night's rest. We thank you for another day, for waking us refreshed. And we pray now as we open your word, your Holy Spirit will guide us in its understanding. We ask this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for joining in. We've been going through the life of Jacob, and uh, I hope I get through this okay because I've got a bit of a cold coming on. I think my nose is a little bit blocked, so forgive me for how this might sound coming across on the airwaves here over the internet, but uh, let's uh, hope that it comes out okay. Now, in our last episode, we considered the plan of Esau to murder Jacob and Rebekah's plan to save him and Esau. You see, should Esau murder Jacob, Rebekah feared an avenger of blood would take Esau's life also. So she commanded Jacob to flee to her brother in Haran, but she wanted Isaac to be agreeable to Jacob's departure. Jacob was still single, and now that he would be the inheritor of the birthright, it was important that he choose a wife who worshipped El Shaddai, God Almighty. In episode 11, we saw the grief Esau's wives had brought Isaac and Rebekah. You see, Esau's wives were Hittites, descendants of Heth, and the Hittites were idol worshippers. If Jacob was to preserve the knowledge of the true God, El Shaddai, his wife would need to share his faith. And so Rebekah approaches Isaac with this plan in view. And she says here in Genesis 27 verse 46, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? I think Rebekah would have known that this was a soft point with Isaac. You see, Isaac had shared in the grief over Esau's choice of a wife, and being devoted to God, Isaac wanted to assure that Jacob would make the right choice for a wife. Here, both Rebekah and Isaac put the spiritual considerations first. Now let's read the story. It's in Genesis 28, 1-5. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. One thing, you know, comes to my mind in these words to, um, to Jacob is the change of attitude on the part of Isaac. As I mentioned before, though a placid man, he was determined to bless his firstborn and favorite son Esau. Having been deceived by Jacob, it must have taken some humility to now bless Jacob willingly. In time, I believe Isaac came to see from the course each brother pursued that the birthright truly did belong to Jacob. So Isaac agrees to Rebekah's plan. But note, in doing so, he clearly connects the blessing of God with the choice of a wife. Now, this is an important part of God's covenant blessing. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Both partners need to share faith in Jesus if they want the blessing of God on their marriage. I covered this in episode 11. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, please do. 
and also episode 1 where I covered the experience of Isaac's choice of a wife, Married at First Sight, God's Way. That's the title of the episode. Sadly, many people leave God totally out of the picture today. Marriage is carried on with little regard to God's plan in marriage. Marriage, you see, is for life, till death do us part. But while the intention might be there for some, many seem to have the attitude, till divorce do us part. Jesus declared the prevailing condition of the last days would be a repetition of the reveling and excesses carried on in the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, verse 37, we can read it here. It says here, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And verse 38, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. A world full of Esau's. That's what we're talking about here. Living for the moment, pursuing pleasure instead of holiness, and treating marriage as a covenant of convenience rather than a commitment. Obviously, I'm not talking about everybody here, but how many really enter this relationship with the view that it is for life? This has always been the problem for sinful beings like you and me. When it becomes too hard to make things work, we want out. And so we try and find a way to end the marriage, just like they did in the time of Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders of his day were in heated disputes about lawful reasons to divorce a wife. Is it lawful to put away your wife for every cause? They asked. Forget that, Jesus responded, in not so many words. Marriage is for life. Let's read about it here in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 19, I should say, in verse 4. It says here, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That's Matthew 19, verses 4 through to verse 6. Did you note that? Firstly, biblical marriage is between a man and a woman, a biological male and a biological female. That's how God made it. And when it comes to family life, the cause for a man to leave his father and his mother was to get married. But so many couples today, 80% in fact, live together before marriage. Now that figure is from 2017 for Australia. It's like a try-before-you-buy mentality without a lifelong commitment. And too bad if children happen to be born along the way, they end up being collateral damage. I'm speaking from first-hand experience here. You see, my parents' marriage ended when I was four years old. It was just a few years before no-fault divorce became law in Australia. When it did, divorce rates skyrocketed. And it wasn't due to a skyrocketing, to a, uh, you know, a skyrocketing increase in infidelity. That cause was already available for divorce. Most marriages ended for other reasons. But biblically, marriage is what God has joined together. No man has the right to put it asunder. Two persons, a husband and a wife, become one flesh. Because of that, it is so important for both partners to share the same faith in God. That's the only way you can truly make a marriage a success as God intended it. I believe the heart of society and the church is the family unit. Founded on love for God, a marriage relationship becomes a blessing to the partners, to their children and to the church and society in general. 
It is a true source of social happiness in a school that teaches self-sacrificing love. This is what God wants to develop in each of us. But the devil knows this and he's reusing every tool he can today to break down this institution, just like he did in the days of Noah. Ellen White, one of my favorite Christian authors, explains how this affects the church. She writes this, Satan will use every device in leading young men to form marriage connections which will defeat the purpose of God. He will seek to lower the standard of spirituality and holiness so that the church will not be a living, working church and its members be fitting themselves to work in the cause of God. Now, that's from Manuscript Releases, Volume 12, page 283. Now, did you note that when we treat marriage like this, just like I believe Esau treated it, it becomes just a relationship of convenience where selfishness prevails. And because of that, that spirit flows over into the church life. This is one of the main reasons I believe church members end up living for this world and its pleasures instead of pursuing holiness. In episode 15, we learnt that without holiness, we won't see Jesus. That's why we need to do everything we can to put God and his principles first in our lives, especially when we enter into marriage. Abraham did this, so did Isaac, and now so would Jacob. Have a listen to episode 11 again for more on this. So let's come back to our story now. In Genesis 28 verse 5, It says here that Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Padanaram means tableland of Aram, which was somewhere between the two great rivers Euphrates and Tigris. It was over 1,000 kilometers away, and Jacob evidently set out on foot with no more than a staff. Genesis 28 verse 10 says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. The country between Beersheba and Haran was inhabited by wild roving tribes, and Jacob, on the run from Esau, would have avoided as much contact as possible with anyone along the way. Remember, Esau was a man of the field and a pretty good hunter. Jacob knew that and did not want to leave any trace for his angry brother to follow. And so, as he started out on that long journey, I am sure his heart must have been troubled with what he had done. Threatened with death by his brother Esau, and now alone from his father and mother, Jacob was a fugitive on the run from his enemy. David's words in Psalms 102 verses 6 through to verse 8 express the feelings of a person in such a situation. I'm reading here Psalms 102 verses 6 to 8. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Mine enemies reproach me all the day, and they are mad, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. The pelican of the wilderness was a bird of solitude, as was the owl of the desert and the lone sparrow on the housetop. No doubt Jacob felt that loneliness. I know I would, and how alone he must have felt. By practicing deception, he had dishonored his father and God. Even though Isaac renewed the covenant blessing to him, he still must have felt terrible about the whole thing. David expressed in Psalms 55 verses 2 to 7 the type of feelings, no doubt, 
Jacob, I think, would have experienced on that first night away from home. Let me read it here. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. And you'll remember, Esau now hated Jacob. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Silah. But how could God bless him now? How could God even talk with him as he did with Abraham and Isaac? And how could Jacob even talk to God about it? How could he even pray now? He had done so wrong. But you know, no matter how much in despair you ever feel, God is always there, and you can always turn to Him in prayer. It's like a dark, stormy day. Grey clouds block the sun, and everything feels pretty miserable. But you know what? When you fly in an aeroplane through those clouds, what is always above them? Yes, blue sky and sunshine. That's what Jacob needed to realize. Yes, he had sinned and was in need of repentance, but he was not cast off. He was about to find that out during his first night in the wilderness. God was watching over him, and he is watching over you and me too, always. He just wants us to learn the lesson of forgiveness, trust, and obedience to him, no matter what the cost. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for... This meditation this morning that reminds us of our need to make the right choice when it comes to marriage companions, that we can make a choice that you can bless, that you can enable us, Lord, to live a a life, a family life of blessing to each other in our marriage relationships and to our children and to the church and the world in general. We pray too, Lord, that we'll learn that lesson that that no matter how dark and miserable we may feel, no matter how much in despair we may be over the wrongs that we've done, that you are always there, ready to accept us, receive us, forgive us, and heal us. And so we come to you this morning asking you to forgive us, Lord, for our sins and to accept us now in the name of Jesus. And we pray this in and through his name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening this morning. I hope you've enjoyed this meditation. And wherever you are today, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, take the Lord with you, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7am Bible. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand, I am tired. I am weak, I am warm Through the storm, through the night Lead me on to the light Take my hand, precious Lord Lead me home